This morning, we continue through the Gospel of John. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I trust you do, you would open them to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And if you do not have your Bibles with you, uh, you have the Pew Bible in front of you, and uh, you can follow along there. And I would encourage you to do so. And you possibly also have your Scripture journal with you. So I I hope you're still finding uh, that useful to use. Uh, But nonetheless, I think it's uh, highly, highly, very important to see uh, where this text comes from. Starting with verse, uh, you know what, I think I'm going to read verse 1 all the way through verse 17 just to put it all into context this morning. So John chapter 1, God's inspired and errant word reads, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour had come, that He would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Him. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper laid aside his garments, taking a towel, he girded himself. And he poured water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and wiped them with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do now you do not realize, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who hath bathed need only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garment and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Father, we just uh, ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And now as we take a few moments and uh, um, extrapolate some thoughts from it, Lord, I just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate this text for us so we not only can understand what it means, but also know how to put it into practice. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do as I do. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. I'm always amazed as week by week I take the next passage in our sequential exposition through the Gospel of John and how it so clearly speaks a word from our current day. The Word of God never changes. Seasons change in our current events, but 
The Word of God never changes. God's Word is more current than tomorrow's newspaper and tomorrow's past, or in today's scripture passage has something to say to our current context. I've titled this Lord's Day Sermon, Do As I Do, and, and that's the problem, right? Many who find themselves in the local and national headlines don't want you to do as they do. Rather, they want you to do as they say, not as they do. But Jesus... But Jesus is not like that. We must look to Jesus, who is God, for our instructions. Jesus not only says, "What I do what I say, Jesus also says, do as I do. And today, Jesus humbles himself, takes on the menial task of the lowliest servant. No one saw this coming, that we're in the room that day. And the room is speechless. Well, almost, Peter is in the room. And so as we look at Peter this morning a little bit, and as he speaks on his own behalf this morning, and we start out in verse 6, as Jesus, uh, as what we have already seen, looked at a little bit last week, as Jesus humbled himself, took on that role of that servant, took the tile, took the basin, and prepared to wash the disciples' feet, he came to Peter. Now, some would like to say that he first came to Peter. Peter was the first one that he came to. I don't know that it matters, but I don't think so. I mean, the, the text certainly wouldn't give us a clue necessarily either way, but it certainly, in my reading of it, would seem to apply that Peter wasn't the first one of the disciples' feet, but as Peter observed what was happening, and as Peter seen what Jesus was actually doing, Peter says, no, 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 no. No, Jesus, this ain't going to happen. Lord, you shall never wash my feet. In fact, he says it in a question form, but it's more of a command. And he says it out of disgust as he asks the question that he can hardly believe his eyes. He can hardly believe his eyes of what Jesus is doing. And I don't think Peter was the first person that Jesus came to. Uh, and, and for this reason... I. It's just simply because I think that, that no one else in the room spoke up. I mean, and, and as Peter observed what was happening and seeing what was going to happen, and as the disciples realized, as Jesus got up from the, the table, if you will, and they knew the, the procedure of the day, and nobody was there with the basin of water and the towel, which was customary of the day to wash the, the, the guests' feet, and nobody was there to do it. And, and none of the disciples, I mean, they observed that nobody was there to do it. But none of them had rose to that occasion and taken on the task that needed to be done. And so Jesus did it. And it seems as though the disciples, possibly out of shock, just didn't respond, except for Peter. You can always count on Peter to speak up, and that he does. But Peter's not the only one who is shocked at times by the actions of Jesus. John the Baptist, he had a very similar response. If I want to draw your attention and remind you of Matthew chapter 3 at, at the baptism of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13, as, as Jesus comes along and he comes down to the river where John the Baptist is, is baptizing, and it says, And Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John, John the Baptist, to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, 
I have need to be baptized by you. And you're coming to me? You're going to have me baptize you? But Jesus answering him said to him, Permit it at this time, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John reluctantly relented and baptized and baptized Jesus. You know, and so here we've got two examples of those who are are shocked by Jesus, but I'm not so sure that I find myself shocked by Jesus' actions at times. And, and And I think the problem today with so many is that they or we or I, let me make it first person also, that I find myself or believe myself to be worthy, right? I mean, I think, well, I am worthy. I am me. I mean, just look at me. Why wouldn't I be worthy, right? I mean, this is, I believe, sometimes some of the attitudes that we can carry without even realizing it, right? Without even thinking about it. I mean, our current generation is Generation Z. I'm not beating up on any generations this morning, except maybe the Generation Xers, because that's where I find myself, so I guess I can do that to myself. But when we look at Generation Z, if we look at Generation Z, uh, they're, they're up to around the age of, of 22, and they're sometimes called the I generation simply because they grew up with the iPhone. Right? They were born with an iPhone in their hands. And if you have a child under the age of 22 in this generation, <laughs> certainly above, you know this to be true, right? You know this to be true as you wrestle through some of those things. And that's the generation Z, the millennial generation now, the ones right before the Z. Uh, they're, they're sometimes referred to as the I generation also. Not because of the iPhone, because unfortunately... Uh, because they're labeled as it's all about me, right? It's the, I'm the I generation, and it's about me, myself, and I. And that's a little bit unfortunate because, again, painting any group of people with a broad brush doesn't do service, doesn't do justice to, to, to anyone. But, but I believe that we have a similar crisis in the church. And maybe we could call it the generation of churchgoers that are the I Jesus, right? The I Jesus, I Jesus syndrome. Because many have been raised with the mindset that Jesus is their personal God. Jesus is my personal God. You must accept Jesus. Jesus must be your personal Savior. We're raised with this this mindset, not purposefully, but pretty soon we can get to the idea that we find ourselves worthy. We find ourselves that it's, it's about me. We have a generation of churchgoers who fail to recognize the holiness of Jesus, who failed to recognize Jesus is not just the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is God. Jesus isn't your best buddy who shows up at the Grove Coffee House and has a cup of coffee, though he does that. Jesus is God, and we lose the sense of respect, the sense of holiness that surrounds Jesus. It's the lordship of Christ is, is lost, I'm afraid, on this generation, on my generation of the church. When we look at Jesus being the Lordship of of Christ, Jesus is the Christ, meaning the Savior. Jesus is the Messiah, but He's not Lord. I can accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, but it doesn't alter my life. I still go living how I want. So Jesus is my personal Savior, but Jesus isn't my Master. Jesus isn't my Lord. Jesus doesn't dictate how I work, how I function, the things I say, the things I do. Now, we're all, 
in our sin nature. And so I understand none of us are perfect. Every single one of us has a slip of the keyboard once in a while or the slip of the tongue, if you will, right? It does give us a pass, but it also, we can't become too heavily beating, beating up ourselves that we, that we think that we, we, you know, we're not even worthy for the Lord to save us. That's certainly not true. We're worthy, right? But not in the sense that we often take, take it. And, and I think that's what we see here as we see this action unfolding before us here this morning. And if you move on to John, or to, uh, yeah, John chapter 13, verse 7, if we move on, and it's Jesus' response to Peter in verse 7. And Jesus says to, to Peter, he says, well, look, look, what I do now, you do not realize now, but, but you will hereafter. I mean, it's a nice way of, of Jesus, you know, telling Peter, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. So look, look you don't understand what I'm doing now. The time will come where, where you'll understand, right? He says, you, you'll understand, but you don't understand right at the moment. And see, the problem we often have is not that we don't understand. We perfectly can understand what Jesus is doing. We perfectly understand what Jesus requires of us. But we don't understand it. We don't understand the why. We don't understand the purpose, why it needs to be done, Right? And I think that's exactly what Jesus is telling Peter. Peter, you understand what I'm doing, you, but you don't understand. You see what I'm doing, but you don't understand why I'm doing it. And until you understand it, you won't accept it, right? And Jesus knows what he's doing. In essence, that's what he's telling Peter. Look, I know what I'm doing. This isn't about the menial task of, of foot washing, of washing people's feet. This they will know only after the death of Jesus, only after the glorification of Jesus, only after the, the resurrection of Jesus, only after Pentecost will they fully grasp of what Jesus did here on this day. And Jesus is now only asking them to wait, to trust him as their Lord. In all that he does and in all that will take place. You don't have to understand, he tells them but you must trust. You don't have to understand. And so Peter, being Peter, I love this guy. He doubles down, right? In verse 8, Peter says to him, never, never I own. So endless age. It's You could say never ever, never forever, if you want to, to get our sense of what he's actually saying is, is literally never. Right? I mean, they tell you to never say never, huh? but it's not, it's not in that sense. It's literally never, ever, never will this take place. That's the, the language that Peter is using here. Never shall you wash my feet. It's not going to happen, Jesus. It's beneath you. I, I'm offended that you would stoop before me and even attempt to perform such a feat. And Jesus says, listen, Peter, if I don't, I don't wash you, you have no part with me. It, it, all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, is this about washing feet or isn't it about washing feet? What, what are you saying? So, so Peter, again, I love this guy. <laughs> if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. We cannot miss this. We cannot miss what he's saying because it's not about washing feet. It's not about a foot washing service. It's not at all. Unless Jesus washes a person, that person has no part 
with Jesus. It's, it's language that people have, that Jesus has already used in John's gospel. Remember in John chapter 4, John chapter 4, the woman at the well, he said, I'm the living water. He who drinks of me will, ha will have eternal life. And then a few chapters later, in uh, chapter 6, Jesus says, if you don't eat this bread, I am the bread of life. If you don't eat me, you will not have eternal life. And here he's saying something very similar. If I don't wash you, you will not have eternal life. Right? And this is the greatest question for everyone, for all. Am I washed? Am I justified? I mean, let's just bring it home, right? This is exactly what he's asking. We'll get there next week, but we see that though he washes everyone's feet, not all are washed and justified. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 Paul wrote this, he said, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, but such were some. Again, we see lordship language. Jesus isn't just a savior. Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is your master. Such were some of you. If Jesus is your savior, your behavior will be different. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were cleansed. You were cleaned. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I washed? Am I justified? Are you washed and justified this morning? Peter, hmm. I love this guy. I know I've said that, but I do. Verse 9, Lord, <laughs> not just my feet, right? My hands and my head, wash me. Give me, a, give me a, a whole bath. I want to in the hot tub, completely in, right? I mean, he's all, isn't this guy, he, he's all or nothing. So he jumps, he still, he, 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 misses, he misses the whole point. See, he says, okay, okay, Lord, if that's the deal, I want, I want, I want to be part of you. So if that's what it takes, if that's what it takes, then don't just wash my feet, but wash all of me. But Jesus says in verse 10, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Again, see, it's very confusing, right? This is not about washing somebody's feet. It's not about a foot washing, a foot washing service. We are cleansed. We are cleaned, he says, by washing of the water by the blood of the Lamb, by washing of the water of, of, of Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I spoke to you. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, as Paul is drawing the analogy between Christ and the church, between husbands and wives, between Christ, between Jesus and the church, he says this, he says, having cleansed her, the church, by washing of the water with the word. See, we're washed, we're made clean by the word. John chapter 1, verse 1, right in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's Jesus. It's how we're cleansed, it's how we're washed. Jesus isn't just our Savior. It's not, it's not like we can parcel it. If Jesus is your Savior, Jesus must be your Lord. So he says... You're not all clean, but some of you are and some of you, you aren't. 
But then he says, you know, you have your foot, feet washed only. What, what, is that, what does that mean then? What's he, what's he doing then? Are we saved by having our feet washed? Of course not. So, so how are we supposed to understand that if we've been washed? And he says, ah, but you, you just need your feet washed. Drawing on that analogy, it's just, it's just the confession, right? Right? I mean, that's all it is, right? I mean, as we are saved, we've been nailed to the cross, not in part, but the whole. We sang about that this morning, right? All of our sins are forgiven. But still, daily, we come to Christ and we ask for those forgiveness. We ask, forgive us our debts as we forget those who have debts against us, right? Often we want to write, often we want to say, we want to change it up and say, forgive us our trespasses. And that, that's right, but it doesn't give us the gravity, it doesn't give us the weightiness of debts. That's the right word, literally. Now, it's not asking us to forgive our monetary debts, but, 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 it, but in the sense, that, that's what it's saying. It's exactly what it's saying. In fact, Luke chapter 11, verse 3 says it like this, and forgive us our sins, Right? For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's the daily foot washing that Jesus has drawn the analogy here. He said, look, you've already been washed. And those of you who have been washed, those of you who have been sanctified, those of you who have been justified, you just need to have your feet washed. You just need to have your sins forgiven, right? I need my sins forgiven. I mean, daily as we mess up and as we make some of those mistakes, right? We start out our mornings, we close out our days, Lord, forgive me my sins as I've forgiven those who have offended me this day. That, that, that's the picture that Jesus is drawing here. Being served <clears throat> does not bring true joy. That's what Jesus wants them to understand as he's toggling back and forth between the spiritual and the physical comparison that he's making here. You see, being served. And this is, this is often what we think today, right? That by being served, this is what brings me joy. By having people serve me. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not what brings true joy. And so verses 11 or verses 12 through, through 17, we see God's formula for true spiritual joy. We see God's formula for true spiritual joy. And the formula goes like this. It's humbleness, holiness, and happiness, right? Starts with humbleness. It's holiness. And then it's happiness. You see it in verse, verse 12. You see it in verse 12 where, where Jesus says, <clears throat> so when he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and reclined at the table again. See, Jesus never lost his place at the table, though he humbled himself, though he, he actually did a service that was beneath him. And in some contexts, that would certainly lose your place at the, at the table. You've shown, you've shown your weakness. He didn't lose his place or his portion at the table. He's still at the head of the table. He's still in the teaching position. Jesus still has their full attention. In fact, as you read this, you don't even hear from Peter. There's just silence. They're speechless. They don't know how to respond. They don't know, they don't know what to say. There are times, right? There are times when actions, actions of another or others leave us speechless. And it is good. It is good to sit in this uncomfortable silence. Right? I mean, there are times where somebody says something or a group of people may act a certain way and we want to respond, we want to explain, want to give commentary to it. The best thing we can do is just be quiet. 
Just be silent. Just be speechless. In fact, it's exactly what uh, Peter learned. Uh, Peter was told to, I'll clean this up. Peter was told to be quiet a few times. In fact, Matthew chapter 17 it's really kind of kind of interesting. In Matthew chapter 17, we call it the, the Mount of Transfiguration. And as Jesus met there with uh, Moses and Elijah, Peter, James, and John were, were with him. In verse 3, it says, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them and was talking with Jesus. Peter, again, you need to learn this lesson. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. Really? Are you adding any value to this conference? Nonetheless. My commentary. Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, we'll make three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, just like they actually need that. He didn't know what to do with himself, right? Peter was beyond, he didn't know what to do. So while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my son. This is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face to the ground and they were terrified. They trembled. Yeah, yeah, I could understand that would be the case. Luke's account, he says it like this. He adds this after Peter speaks up, not realizing what he was saying. Hmm, right? He didn't even, you know, often, isn't that, isn't that it? Rather than sit in the tension of silence, we want to talk, we want to say something, we want to respond, and we don't even know what we're saying. Well, you know, that's exactly what Luke says. Peter, Peter, he, he spouted off and said that, but he didn't know what he was saying. It's exactly, literally what it says. I find that, find that so fascinating. Some people think they have all the answers, right? Some people think they have all the answers and they can just figure it all out and, and, and they're God's gift of, of the answer man, right? And when sometimes the appropriate thing is just to be quiet. I, I, I remember, I'll have to tell it again because... I confessed this to him actually at his retirement for the church there in Ohio, but so I confessed it to the whole church. My pastor there one time gave me a good piece of advice, and it was that. And he literally said, just shut up. Just sounds like you're making an excuse. That's good advice. Hurt. It was hard. I didn't like to hear it, but he's right. He's right. Sometimes we want to talk, we want to explain ourselves when we're just making it worse. My girls used to tell me that all the time when I got myself in, in trouble with my wife. Of course, I wasn't really in trouble. She just misunderstood what I was trying to do, but never mind. At this point in time, the girls would say, Dad, just be quiet. <laughs> You're making it worse. Right? There's times where silence is golden. Silence is what we need. There is humbleness in waiting, listening, and in doing, yes, but learning from each other, listening, listening. We don't always need to understand to know the right thing to do. We, we know the right thing to do. We know what the right thing to do is. We don't need to understand it to know what the right thing is to do. Well, humbleness <clears throat> is the first in God's formula to happiness. Holiness is, is second. Verses 15 and 16. Verses 15 and 16 Jesus says, for I gave you an example that you all should, should do as I did. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is, not, slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent him greater than the one who sent, right? It's just because you, I sent doesn't mean I, I'm greater than you, for, for I gave you this example, Jesus says. 
This is what you need to do. This is, this is the holiness part. This is the do. I don't mean holiness. I know that's not a great word, but it started with an H. So the, the, this is the doing on our part. You know, there was a time, and I don't see them so much anymore, but there was a time back in the day where everybody wore bracelets. WWJD, right? Confession time. How many of you all had one of those bracelets? A couple. A couple brave souls. A couple honest souls in the back. Okay, how many of you, never mind, we'll just stop it with that. But what did it mean? What would Jesus do? I always had a problem with that. Of course I had a problem with that. I got a problem with everything. But I had a problem with that. And of course it was over the one word. Of course it was. It's like, no, 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 no. It shouldn't be what would Jesus do. It's what did Jesus do? It's not like it's a question, hmm, I wonder what Jesus would do in this situation. No, we know what he would do. It's what did Jesus do? And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. I gave you an example. I showed you what to do. Do it. Verse 16, a slave is not greater than his master. There's a, there's a maximum from, from uh, some of the old uh, Jewish teachers. It goes like this. He says the one sent by a man is as the man himself. Right? The, sent, the one sent by a man is as the man himself. And that's what Jesus is saying in verse 16. A slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. In John chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus said this to the disciples, remember the word that I spoke to you. Actually, it was on this very same night yet. But Jesus says, remember the word that I spoke to you, that, that a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you, right? I mean, I mean well, what's wrong with you people he's saying, Jesus is saying? You know, if they persecuted me, what, you think you're going to get out of persecution? You think if they condemned me, you think you're going to get out of condemnation? If the world hated me, you think they're going to love you? Right? Self-explanatory. When we refuse to do the very things that Jesus himself did, in essence, what we are saying is that we're better than Jesus. Right? I mean, we label it as Jesus has done it on our behalf. I, I know how we like to clean things up. But in essence, what we're doing, we're saying that we're actually better. That's beneath us. We're better. We're better than Jesus. See, foot washing is not part of our culture today, is it? Foot washing is not part of our culture. I know for some of us, and, and other groups do it too, and, and especially as Anabaptists, as, as Mennonites, we always had a foot washing service. Didn't you love those, those times? Um, uh, you know, I, never mind. Uh, but yeah, I didn't care for those as much. But, but, but see, 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 Jesus is also not setting up a sacrament. And sometimes this is thought of as a sacrament. It's, it's not, foot washing isn't a sacrament. Because no, none of the other Gospels records anything about foot washing. N none, of, none of the apostolic letters, none of the letters from the other apostles have wrote any example of this. Acts, when the whole church was being set up, there's, there's no example of a foot washing. So it's not a sacrament or anything like that that was being doing there, but, but we do realize what Jesus is teaching us a lesson that we're supposed to, there's, there's no task that is beneath the Christian and that we literally have to be washed by Jesus. But what, but what, if you think about that for a minute, what may be an equivalent of foot washing today? Right? Well, what may be equivalent of foot washing today? Or we could ask the question like this, as my, my buddy Andy Stanley likes to say, um, he says, what does love require of me? Right? What does love require of me? Now, there's the question, is it not? It's not about washing somebody's feet. You know, that's for weddings, you know? 
but, but what, what does love require of me? That, that, that's a good question. You know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but, um, you know, what, what did come to mind just simply because a few months back somebody pointed this out and, and I thought I'm going to have to remember that. Unfortunately, I did remember that, but, but they said, you know, they think the new foot washing is mask wearing. Now, maybe there's some truth to that, right? I mean, I, how many of you all like, no, I'm not going to ask that question because none of you like to wear a mask. I don't even, I don't even know if masks help. I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the infection rate is as high now as it ever has been and everybody's wearing a mask. I, I'm not sure. But the point is, but the point is, there's others who have deep belief in that. And the point is, we're also supposed to be wearing them. Right? And so we wear them. We don't make a big deal about them. We will continue to gather together. At least I will by myself if nobody else shows up. Never again will the church close. I'm not going to die on the hill of mask wearing though, but I will die on that hill. But is the foot or is the mask wearing? You know, the, have you ever heard such a stink? Hmm, maybe pun intended. Um, with mask wearing, I, I wonder well, why is that? You know, and yet here Jesus stoops to the level. This menial task of washing somebody's feet. Well, there's humbleness, holiness, which leads to happiness. Verse 17, we see it there. Verse 17, Jesus says, if you know these things, in essence, you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You're blessed if you do them. Not if they're done to you, but if they're blessed if you, if you do, do them. Verse 17, it is one thing to know what we should do. It's one thing to know what we should do, and it is another thing to do it. The blessing does not come by knowing, but by doing. And this can be a hang-up for me. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of a, a nerdy person, and I have to work really hard at learning anything, and, and sometimes I great, take great pleasure in the knowing and the learning and the knowledge. It's kind of pointless, isn't it? I don't do anything with it, right? It's kind of pointless. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. If you know, then you actually want a blessing from what you know, then you need to do it. In fact, Paul told the church at Rome, he said, outdo one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. I have a long ways to go. Because <laughs> you all, <laughs> well, outdo one another in showing honor? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives this um Analogy of the two foundations, right? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he says, Whoever hears these words of mine and acts on them is like the wise man who built his foundation on the rock. A few verses down, he says, But everyone who hears these words of mine, they both heard. They both heard the words. And anyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man. Will be like the foolish man who built his house, his house upon Upon the sand. See, we all hear, right? We all hear it. It's not that we don't understand. It's that we want to know why. We want to be explained. I'm owed an explanation why I need to do this. And it's not at all the model that Jesus is giving us or he told his disciples. And so last week, we seen Jesus could do what he did because of what he knew. Jesus could do what he did because of what he knew. So we too can do what we must do because of what we know. Right? Because of what we know. And, you know, folks, 
it doesn't appear as though 2021 is going to be any better than 2022. So put off the bracelet. What would Jesus do? Put on the bracelet. What did Jesus do? Right? And then the words of Jesus. See, there's so many things that we do not understand, and that's okay. But summarizing a few words of Jesus from our passage here today. But Jesus, who is God, I remind you, who is God, gave us an example that we should do as he did to us. Then he says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Father, I, um, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your actions. Lord, you just didn't write these things down for us or, or have them in... <clears throat> Have them written down on your behalf uh, just so we know what to do. But Lord, you modeled them for us. You didn't just tell us, you showed us. And Father, each one of us faces different challenges, different troubles, different difficult scenarios, or dare I say, difficult people within our life. Father, would you give us the strength would you give us the courage not, not, not to ask, well, how did Jesus handle this? Well, how, how did you literally do it? How should we respond? So, Father, I pray that as we go through the rest of this week, as we leave this day, that we can be encouraged and strengthened, knowing that there's nothing that we will face this week or this day that you yourself didn't face and face even worse. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.